Good morning, church. It's my privilege to bring you the Bible reading for today. Uh, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. If you do not have a Bible and you wish to, have, uh, to borrow one, just leave, put your hand up and the ushers will bring you one. So this morning we are reading from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. Let us pray before we begin. Oh Lord, we are thankful, Father, for this time that you've brought us together. We thank you for the privilege to be able to read your word and to study it. We thank you, Father, for um, the truth that it brings to, our, to us. And we pray this morning for the speaker, that you would anoint his lips to teach us uh, truthfully, faithfully from you, and that you would prepare our hearts to be teachable and that uh, you help us to understand and apply to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So reading from chapter 8, verse 18. And this is Paul um, speaking about uh, present suffering and future glory. So verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. What, who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of God. Thanks, Antiangi. Yes, it is me again. Um, I am actually taking the place of uh, Pastor Matt, whose uh, family is quite unwell. Uh, so he was doing service leading and communion this morning, so I'm stepping in for him. That's why I'm here all day, or, or for your whole service, I'll be with you all night. Um, uh, but please pray for uh, their family, uh, for Bonnie and Elodie and Aidan and Pastor Matt. Uh, they're quite unwell, as well as um, Dennis, um, our operations manager. His family's quite unwell, so there's a bit of sickness amongst the staff team. So, um, you know, even as we talk about suffering, we see the real impacts of sickness in people's lives. So please pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Now, I wonder how, how was that conversation that you guys had about being unprepared, caught out unprepared? Um, my guess is that most of the time when we're caught out un unprepared, it's because we don't go in with the right expectations, am I right? Like, sometimes we're not prepared because we're not expecting something, um, you know, we don't have the right expectations. Uh, one time that I was caught out unprepared was when I went to YF camp one time. So YF camp, that's our young adults group. So back when I was a uni student, and we went to this YF camp one time at Toowoomba. Does anyone remember the Toowoomba YF camps? Who was, who was at the Toowoomba YF camp? No one's admitting. Ping, you weren't you there? Tim was there. Come on, admit it, guys. Um, this I didn't realize how cold Toowoomba was in, in winter, especially when you go to a ghetto campsite, which is, it, it was, I can't remember, what, I don't know if the campsite exists anymore, but it was a big 
military-style dormitory where there was about like 30 guys in one cabin. Uh, there was absolutely no insulation for this place. I remember just being snuggled up in my cheapo Kmart sleeping bag. Uh, my face was completely numb. I couldn't feel it, and I just could not sleep at all the entire time. I had a horrible time. Uh, just because I went in with the wrong expectations. I thought Toowoomba would be warmer, but it wasn't. It was very cold. So Toowoomba winter's cold. Just take that note, friends. Um, our expectations shape our preparation. What we expect shapes how we prepare. I wonder what your expectation is of the Christian life. That's a really important question. To get our expectations right, we need to understand the reality that we actually live in. And over the past weeks, we've been looking at what that means, particularly for us as God's church, as his dear people. We've seen a few things, and I'm going to do a bit of a recap now as we bring things together. Um, We've seen this, first of all. We've seen that Christ loves us so much that he has come to die and rise again to make for himself, to win for himself, create himself a new family, a new people. He's come to save his church through the cross, to forgive our sins and bring us in as his people. And he's done all of this through the cross and resurrection, the gospel. We are his beloved church. He sacrificed his own life to come and save us. That's the first thing that we have seen. We've even seen that even as we're here in this world, there's a spiritual reality that right now we are worshipping as well in the heavenly places with every other believer through all the ages gathered around the throne of God. How's that work? I'm not exactly sure, but that's the reality the scriptures give us, that we are spiritually gathered in the heavenly places, even as we sit right here in Cooper's Plains in our church right now. That's the reality. We've been raised with Christ already. And we've also seen this, that we have a future hope, that Christ will return one day and he'll make all things perfect and that this current world will be gone. All right? He'll take his beloved church, the bride, out, his bride back home and that the reality is that we'll be gathered around the throne of God in worship that, and that won't just be a spiritual one, that'll be a physical reality too. This world will pass away and there will be a new creation The old will be gone, the new will be here, a new heavens, a new earth. That's our destination. We don't know when that will be. We don't know when that will be. So we live in this age now, and it's a time of waiting, a time of waiting. This is what the Bible calls, actually, the last days. I don't know if you realize this. This is the last days. We're not waiting for anything more except for Christ's return. All the big events have happened. We're waiting for his return. We look forward to the final day. We've seen lots of things that we are called to do as his church as we wait. Uh, Holiness, to love one another, to gather regularly, to keep encouraging each other, to preach the gospel, to share with all the unbelievers around us, the lost, uh, to give all of our lives as worship. We've seen lots of things for God's church to do as we wait. But as we seek to live those things out, what's our expectation of what our experience will be like? I wonder. Will Will it be hard? Or are we expecting a cruisy ride? Will it be easy? My greatest hope is that every single one of us in this room perseveres till the end. Every single one of us. That we will make it right to the end. That when Jesus Christ comes back, he'll see us standing firm, holding fast to the gospel. There's nothing more important. That we can all go home together. That's my greatest hope. But for that to happen, we need to be prepared. And which means we need to have the right expectations. Let me start at this point one. We live in a broken world. This is the first thing we need to understand. 
Um, in Romans 8, as Auntie Hungy read for us before, Paul is writing to the Roman church that is in the midst of suffering. So have a look at Romans 8 in your Bibles if you've got them open, otherwise it'll be coming up on the screen. So we'll start from verse 20, actually, verse 20. And let me read for you. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, there's a few things to draw out here from this verse. The first thing that's really clear is that creation is broken. That's the first thing that we need to understand. Creation is broken. Here's how it's described. Have a look. In verse 20, it says this, that it's subjected to futility. Subjected to futility, right? Um, in verse 21, it's in bondage to corruption. Um, this world, this world is like, it's like a a banana, a rotting banana that's slowly getting worse and worse every single day. You know, you notice how bananas just like decompose like so quickly. That's what our world is like: a, a decomposing, corrupt, breaking down b- piece of fruit that's just like going worse and worse day by day. And what's being described here is a is a world that is not working as it should. That's what it's saying. Ever since the fall, when Adam and Eve, our forebears, they sinned in the garden. Ever since the fall in the garden of Eden, this world has been cursed. Sin has entered this world. It's infected everything. This world is decaying. It's decaying. It's breaking down. Things are not working as it should be. And every time we suffer, big or small, it's a jolting reminder of that fact, isn't it? That this world is not as it should be. This suffering comes in many ways. Firstly, it's our broken bodies, okay? Firstly, it's our broken bodies. Have a look at verse 23 with me in your Bibles, or it's on the screen. Um, I'm not sure, actually, it's not on the screen, so have a look in your Bibles with me. Sorry, my mistake. Or just listen along if you don't have your Bibles open. Verse 23 of chapter 8. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Not only does creation groan, the wider creation, the world, but we groan. We groan as we wait the redemption of our bodies. That means there's something wrong with our bodies. Something needs to be done. Think about this. Um, This winter season, constant cold and flus. So frustrating. So uh, I know many parents have just been struggling so much with constant sickness in the family. It's, It's disheartening. Depression, anxiety, miscarriages infertility, cancer, death. All these things, they just scream at us. This world is not as it should be. Your bodies are not as it should be. Things are broken. Sickness screams to us that our bodies need redeeming. Don't you want to be rid of sickness? Don't you hate sickness? Don't you wish it didn't exist? And let's not forget also our spiritual sickness, the sin that wars uh, in our hearts, right? In our broken bodies, day in and day out. The anger that explodes from us when our kids just don't do what we want them to do. Those pictures and videos that we just keep looking at when we know that we should not be doing that late at night when nobody's around. That ugly selfishness that drives us, even when it looks to everybody else that uh, we're doing good things on the outside. Don't you just want to be rid of sin? 
I know I do. Friends, we suffer because of our broken bodies. Our bodies are they're not working as it should be. But let me talk to you about another suffering that scriptures talk about. And actually, as I looked at the scriptures and I looked at suffering, nine times out of ten, this is, what, this is the sort of suffering that the scriptures um, talk about. It's persecution. We suffer because of persecution. Let's be honest, I think it's hard to grasp this sometimes in our um, upper middle class, western, affluent Australian society that we've lived in. We, we, for, we forget something. That Jesus said to follow him is to actually take up your cross and follow him. To walk in the footsteps of suffering. To take up your cross means to be willing to suffer. To be willing to even die for the sake of your king, Jesus Christ. You might think that I'm being a bit extreme here as I talk about that. But if you read your Bibles, you'll see that over and over again, suffering goes hand in hand with salvation. It's a package deal. Suffering and salvation go hand in hand. The Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4. Have a read along with me. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You see the first line of that verse, what does it say? Don't be surprised. Do not be surprised. Suffering and salvation are a package deal. Let me tell you, our brothers and sisters overseas, they know this, don't they? Let me share with you some statistics according to Open Doors, a Christian organization um, which works with the persecuted church across the world. Um, This is last year. Roughly... 5,600 Christians were murdered in 2022. More than 6,000 Christians were detained or put in prison. And another 4,000 Christians were kidnapped. Over 4,000, actually. Um, In addition to that, more than 5,000 churches were destroyed last year and other religious facilities, places that people came in to worship in. And think about this, this is only the ones that were reported. Can you imagine what atrocities are going on in countries like Afghanistan and North Korea, the two top persecutors of Christians in the world that are just hidden, buried, literally, so no one can see? Persecutions are reality as Christians live for Jesus Christ. But I'm sure you realise too that closer to home, things are getting more hostile as well. Let me share with you a few stories. Um, In Perth recently, um, or this was a few years back actually, there was a couple, a Christian couple, uh, were seeking to foster some children. And fostering children, what a wonderful thing to do as so many children are in abusive homes and need safe homes to live in. And this Christian family, they're putting themselves out there to foster, which is a, is a big step forward. They went through all their assessments with flying colours. You know, loving Christian family um, really wanted to help out here. They got to the final stage of the assessment, and it was actually a little quiz about your views on gender and sexuality. Yeah? So being Christians, they filled that out honestly, you know, um, according to their convictions. Um, and they came back. Uh, they got a communication back from the government saying that they would have been rejected 
for their fostering application. And the reason given was this, that they had an unsafe home for children. Yeah. The government deciding that this home was too unsafe for an abused child to go and live in. Because they hold a scriptural view of gender and sexuality. Recently in Victoria, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, some anti-conversion and suppression laws have been passed. Um, and they're very extreme. Okay? Um, it means this. Uh, there's, lots of, there's lots to this legislation. We just came back from a conference uh, with the FIEC, our um, network, where we were talking a bit about this. Um, it means this. I'll just give you a bit of a case study. That if there was someone in your church, if someone in our church that was struggling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, and they came to you and said, um, I'm really struggling with this, um, but I really want to honor Jesus with my life. I see what he says in scriptures. Um, can you pr please pray for me to be transformed, to be changed? Um, and then you prayed for them. Um, that, that's illegal now. You could be jailed for up to 10 years if they deem that you had caused harm or hurt through seeking to change someone or suppress their gender identity or their sexuality. It doesn't matter if it's consensual, if they've asked. It doesn't even matter if you're a parent and this is your child. This is the new laws that have been passed in Victoria. This is real. When we first heard it, like a few of us were there, they, there was a little video where they were showing this. We thought, is this real? Is this, like, this is real. Uh, new South Wales is seeking to pass laws like this, and Queensland likely is coming next. Now, I wonder how you feel when you hear those stories. For many of us, I think it's fear, isn't it? It's fear. And in a sense, rightfully so. We don't, we don't want to be a target. Who wants to put ourselves in the crosshairs? We don't, we don't want to be fired from our jobs. We don't want to be put forward um, to have disciplinary action against us by the university board or something. We don't want to be social outcasts in our workplace or unis or schools. Like, who wants that? So what do we do? We often, our response is this, we keep our heads down. We duck even further down, all right? And that's exactly what these laws are designed for, to scare us into saying nothing. So we keep our heads down, and we don't get persecuted. I mean, how can they persecute us if they don't even know we're Christian? Of course they won't. But friends, we need to remember something. To follow Jesus is to follow the path of persecution. To stand with our King and Saviour, the one who was persecuted and suffered for us, is to walk in the path of persecution, is to be ready to suffer. Here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Are we ready? Are we ready? Some of you here, I know, you've, you've gone through this, or maybe you are going through this right now. You've taken some hits, and it's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard. Trust me, I know. I've, I've had someone set up a Facebook page to defame me and call me a false teacher online. And the anxiety I felt in that time was like no other. It's so hard. But friends, when it, we are persecuted, our comfort comes in this. Let me show you some scriptures. Verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Friends, 
To suffer for Jesus is a badge of honor. It shows that you belong to him. It shows that the Holy Spirit rests upon you. It shows you that you're one of his. So you can even rejoice in this. Wow, you can rejoice when you suffer. Only when you see that you are following the footsteps of your suffering Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave everything for you. I wonder if you believe this. I wonder if you're ready. Friends, we need to be ready. Suffering will come. It will come because of our broken bodies, and it will come because of persecution from our hostile world. So I want us to remember this today. Don't be surprised by suffering. There's an idea going around that Christians um, should always have big smiles on our faces, right? Um, And nothing bad ever happens to us, right? Well, I think we need to throw that idea out the window. We should know better than anyone that suffering is our reality, that we need to expect this. God has told us this in the scriptures. But I wonder, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Some of us have suffered immensely here. You know this to be true. And if that's you, I'm so sorry that that's happened. It's, suffering is it's terrible. But there are some of us here that it's a distant reality, isn't it? We don't actually think we're going to suffer. Maybe theoretically we think so, but you know, we don't actually think we'll suffer that. I mean, six-figure salary, nice house. I don't think we're going to suffer that much. But let me say something today. We need to embrace the fact that the Christian life is going to be hard. We need to embrace that, to grab that. We, we are not to be people that when suffering comes knocking on our door, that we say to God, God, what are you doing? I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. What's going on here? We shouldn't be surprised when someone mocks us for our faith, when sickness hits, even when death strikes our family. We should mourn, we lament, we grieve, but we are not to be surprised. We need to expect suffering. Because let me tell you, if we don't expect suffering, when suffering comes, it will completely destroy our faith. Every day is a spiritual battle for our hearts. There's an enemy out there prowling around like a lion, waiting waiting to strike. You know what he does? He keeps throwing suffering at us more and more. He has more suffering. He has another day of suffering over and over again. And he does us because he wants us to doubt God's goodness. He wants us to lose hope. He wants us to give up on life. But friends, we can't let him win. We can't let the enemy win. And he won't win if we are prepared. If we are prepared. Because not only are we to be people that expect to suffer, we are people that are prepared to suffer as well. And this is our next point, suffering well. There's a few ways to deal with suffering. Uh, the first is to uh, grit your teeth and pretend everything's okay, right? It's not so bad. Um, you know, just get on with it. Perhaps that's how you're raised. You know, your parents told you, you can't show weakness. You've just got to keep going. So that's what we do. We just put our heads down and keep going. We don't acknowledge it at all, right? That's one option. The other option is to just let it completely overwhelm you, that when it hits you, you're just crushed. You just fall apart. But there's another option, a better option. As Christians, we are something much better and to stand on the hope of the gospel. Romans 8, 18, the start of that passage we read before says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. You might say the Apostle Paul here is being a bit insensitive to suffering people. He's speaking to a suffering church and he goes, Hey guys, don't worry about your suffering, it's nothing. 
That's essentially what he's saying, right? Don't worry, it's, it's, not, worth, not, it's not worth worrying about. But he can say this, because he is someone that has gone through more intense suffering than anyone else except Jesus Christ, I think. And he survived. How? By holding on to the hope of the gospel. That's the only thing that kept him going. And hope is the key word here. The thing that you're going through now, or the thing that you will go through, no matter how bad, compared to the promise of what is to come, well, it just fades away. Because God's got something huge in store. This is one of my favorite verses I'll read to you now from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, that's us, the church, right, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is our destination, brothers and sisters. This is where we're going. Guaranteed by Christ, if you've come to Christ, a place where there is no more suffering, no more pain, no more grieving, no more mourning, because there's no more death. Sin's done away with, it's gone. I don't know what you're going through today. I won't pretend to know how you're feeling, but I want to boldly remind you of what is to come. Not to minimize your suffering and say, it doesn't matter, your suffering doesn't matter, but I remind you, because I know in the depths of suffering, the only thing that will keep you going is the truth of the gospel. The truth that because of what Christ has done on the cross, that your salvation is secure. That there is now no condemnation for you. Your sins are forgiven. That the Holy Spirit lives in you, which means that you belong to God. That's a guarantee that you belong to Him. That no matter how you feel about yourself, God loves you. God loves you deeply. Nothing can separate you from the love of God now. That this world is not all there is. The truth that this creation and your bodies will be redeemed, that your pain will end. And because of these truths of the gospel, you can suffer well. You can suffer well. Don't give up. Don't give up. Here's one good thing about suffering. It makes us turn away from our own self-dependence, and it makes us lean on God. In our weakness, we go back to God to lean on him and his promises, and that's a good thing. When you feel like you've got nothing left, remember that if God is for you, who can be against you? He's got you. Turn to your Father in humble, dependent prayer, and he will help you. And I think we see his help embodied right here in the church, in one another. And what our final point is, as we get practical, suffering side by side. Hebrews 10, uh, 23, tells us this, coming up on the screen. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Nothing is more important than what verse 23 tells us here. Holding fast to the confession of faith 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ without wavering, not giving up on Jesus. Nothing is more important than this. Nothing is more important. And as you encounter suffering and hardship in life, sometimes you want to give up on Jesus. You will. You, know, you want to just you know, get angry, give up, you know, question. Let me tell you, you will give up, actually, unless you have each other. Unless you have each other. Because the passage goes on to tell us more things, right? And let us consider how to stir up um, one another to love and good works and not neglecting to meet together as is, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In a nutshell, what's this verse saying? It says, keep meeting together. Keep meeting together to encourage one another. Do you know what that word encourage actually means? Um, it literally means to put courage in each other, right? To keep going. Because that's the only way we'll hold on. The day of Christ is coming near. That's how this verse ends, did you notice? The return of Christ, any day now. And we need each other to keep holding on. I don't know if you realize, but the church is actually God's gift to us to help us persevere. Pastor and author Paul Tripp, um, he puts it like this. Uh, God's people are meant to be the look on his face, the touch of his hand, the sound of his voice, the evidence of his love, the picture of his presence, and the visible demonstration of his faithfulness. What that means is that we, each and every one of you in the church, you are a representative of God's help to each other, right? You are the hands and feet of God to each other. You are the face of God. You are the words of God to each other as you minister and help and serve one another. This is how God's help is embodied in his church, in his people. You show the grace of God through your grace. So how do we do that? We've been thinking a lot about care um, in the church recently in lots of different situations. How do we care for each, uh, one another well? Uh, the other week, the whole pastoral team went along to a mental health and the church uh, seminar, uh, QTC as well, and that was really helpful. Um, and every care situation is very different, but I think I want to share with you some things that I've noticed that are um, key principles across the board, okay? So it's not uh, exhaustive by any means, but just a few key principles. Um, the first is this. The aim of Christian care is to help people keep on walking faithfully with Jesus until he returns. All right, that's the first thing that we need to know. As we care for each other, this is the aim, for people to keep on walking faithfully with Jesus. Like Hebrews 10 says, hold on to the confession that you have, or faith that you have. We need to keep this ultimate goal in mind, because it's no use meeting the physical needs of someone in this life, but them not being with Jesus in the next. Right? This is the ultimate aim. As we encourage, support, and care, keep in mind the return of Jesus. Because um, that helps us to keep things in perspective as well. Because you might not be able to cure their cancer. You might not be able to stop the workplace bullying. You might not be able to fix their depression. You can't. You can't. But your love and care and encouragement will help your brother or sister in Christ to keep holding on to Jesus in that suffering. This is what matters in the end. We need to get things in perspective. This is what it means to really care as we seek to minister to those around us. Okay, That's the first principle. The second is this. Listen more than speak. I think um, what holds us back from helping one another often is we're not sure what to say, right? Is that true? Like when someone is suffering, like if you, if you were to see someone sitting here crying, um, 
for many of us, we would be very scared to approach that person because we wouldn't know what to say. Is that true? And we'll think that we'd be quite awkward or we just wouldn't have the words or maybe we'd actually make it worse. So I, I better just stay out of it, okay? Um, I want to let you know something. You don't have to say much at all or anything, actually, to actually help. You just have to turn up. Perhaps you don't realize how meaningful it is for someone in pain, um, whether that's through persecution in the workplace they're suffering, whether it's sickness, whatever it might be, whether it's sin. You don't realize how comforting it is just to have someone sit with them, to say nothing at all, to maybe just listen as that person cries or just to hear their laments. Perhaps the only words you need to say are this, I'm so sorry this has happened to you. It's terrible. Maybe that's the only words you need to say. Friends, this is where care starts, just to turn up. Don't be scared to approach someone who's suffering. Okay? In fact, it's vital that you do. <laughs> it's important. We need to love each other. And don't worry about what you say. Be there to listen. Okay? Be there to listen. And the third principle is this. The word and prayer are God's tools of help. Let me start by saying uh, what not to do with God's word. Don't go to someone uh, who's just had a miscarriage and say, well, you know God works for the good of those who love him. Or don't go to someone who's struggling with depression and say this. Um, Philippians 4 tells us that we should re rejoice. So cheer up, cheer up. Don't do these things. You need to first just show up for one another to listen and grieve and empathize together. Um, in their deepest suffering, most people, they can't even hear uh, scriptural truths at that point in time. You know, it's just not going in, no matter how good they are. But I want you to be ready at the right time to encourage them with the gospel. And this is vital. It might be a week. It might be a month. It might be a year. But know that God's word is ultimately what gives us hope beyond this life. And people need that hope to keep going. They need that perspective. They need to see what is to come. A good tip I heard recently is to have people uh, piggyback off your faith. Uh, what's that mean? Um, instead of trying to teach them things, because it's very hard for someone who's suffering for you to like, just keep trying to lay Bible verses on them. Yeah, here's more truths for you to take hold of right now. Um, but maybe you let them piggyback off your faith. Share with them what you've been taught about God. Encourage them with gospel truths that you've been learning, that you've been reading of, that you've heard in sermons. Yeah? Help them. Um, help them get to church. Suffering people, it's very hard for them to get to church. Why offer them a ride to church. You know, call them up. Say, hey, can I help you? Like, enable them to be hearing the word in the communities of the word and truth. And particularly if someone is being persecuted, um, I want to say I think they need that encouragement sooner rather than later. Yeah? Help them see Jesus is worth it. That is worth sticking through this. It's worth holding on. Friends, those are just very uh, quickly three principles for us to think about how we can encourage each other to persevere through our sufferings. Just a start. It's just a start. Um, but I encourage you to take a step forward. You know, if you are suffering today as well, please talk to someone. Yeah? We need to know uh, who to help. That means putting ourselves forward as well. Talk to uh, the pastoral staff team, but just talk to your friends as well so we can help. We're here for one another.
Friends, we've come to the end of our church series. This series, The Dearest Place on Earth, Why Church Matters to God. And I hope you have seen that church does really matter to God, that it really does. I hope you've seen what a privilege it is to be God's special chosen people, that we are His beloved church. We are His beloved church, that He loved us so much that He died for us. He gave everything to make us His own. I hope you've seen that we, right now, as we live in this world waiting for Christ's return, we live our lives in worship of Him as we await His return, all of our lives as a living sacrifice. But as we finish this series, as in every week, but particularly today, we've seen this. I want us to remember this, that um, it won't be easy, so we need one another. We need this thing called church. This is not an optional extra. This is God's plan. This is God's design for us to keep persevering till the end. So don't neglect church. Don't give up on God's people. Keep leaning into community. Because what we have here is very, very special to God. Let me pray. Father God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the church. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ who has died to win himself this new church to bring us back to you. And we pray that as we go through this life that we will have the right expectations, that we won't be surprised by suffering, that we will be ready to suffer even as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that you steal our hearts you prepare us, but we pray that we will help one another to be backing each other, to support one another in this, because we need help as well from our community. So help us to be bold, Father, we pray, but help us also to be helpers and carers and those who love one another. And we pray all of this so that we may hold on, that we may make it to the end, and that we might all be gathered around the throne of God in worship on that final day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we're going to remember the suffering of Jesus.